Hi, Graham. How are you? Hi, Mel. I'm good. Thank you very much. Spring is nearly here. Well, oh, it is here. It is here. And the weather makes, oh, just makes you feel so much better, doesn't it, with a bit of sunshine rather than rain and clouds. So it's, it's fantastic. And um, we have our um, next episode of Women in uh, Payroll podcast. And I'm delighted to say we've got Samantha Williams, who is a VP Head of Global Payroll at Nielsen. So welcome, Samantha. Thank you. Good to speak to you both. Sam, congratulations on the new role. We're going to talk a little bit about your career and your experience and and try and draw out what you've learned over your uh, experience in payroll and how that can help people coming into the profession or already in the profession to, to grow. But one of the things that always fascinates me is, is asking people about their first job and if they remember their first payslip, what they were paid and what they remember about that experience. Gosh, um, my first job was for a, a payroll assistant uh, working for a local lord who had a, a large estate. And I used to do his wages for the for the estate workers in cash in a little brown envelope. And I think my own payslip, uh, I was on about £50 a week at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what the payslip looked like, but uh, I know as, as my first job, it seemed like a lot of money. That was 30 plus years ago. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it was uh, that was my first experience of payroll in my first role, and uh, I know the the sheep in the field in front of the office used to escape, and and I used to spend a lot of time running around and capturing them and putting them back in the field. Fantastic! And do you do you happen to remember what you what you bought um, or, or how you spent that first paycheck? I do. Uh, <laughs> strangely enough. It was, uh, I bought a hamster and a fancy hamster cage. <laughs> oh, that's so fantastic. Was that something you'd been saving up for or planning? Is that why so, you got yeah. the job? I, I think I, that was my impulsive buy with, with my first uh, paycheck, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And and you, you sort of caught me on the hop there. I, I wasn't expecting your first paycheck to be in a payroll job. So was that literally the first job you did was was payroll on the estate? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I've done a few hours in a, working as a checkout in the in a garage, but that was my first first job. Yeah, right. And it and, was and, under those days that was um, under a youth training scheme. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, fell into it, and then uh, from there, took another job in payroll because I'd got some payroll experience. Right. And yes. never left. Yeah. So from from. A few hours in a in a garage uh, checkout into chasing sheep around the field into into payroll. What a what a fantastic much, start! Yeah. <laughs> Superb. All right. Well, let's spend a little bit of time then just talking about your career experience because I always find that fascinating in terms of how people um, move through different roles, why they change at the time that they change, what they take away from from those experiences. So I'm I'm, I'm afraid I've been doing a little stalking on uh, oh. on LinkedIn to, okay. to look at some some background. Um, and uh, you know, and interestingly, you hadn't mentioned on on the LinkedIn profile the chasing of the sheep or or, or funny, no, following the estate work. Um, so you started actually in in quite a large uh, organisation. So how did you go from 
payroll assistant where you were um, you know, working for uh, what sounded like a very small business into a, a, a larger business and, and shall we say a professional payroll function? Uh, I guess after after the estate work, um, I went to work for an international removals company as a payroll assistant to a lady who was due to retire. So um, I was brought in as her succession. So I guess I moved quickly into like a payroll supervisor role um, with a couple of team members. Uh, and then from there, I jumped into the NHS because I felt that would be a really good experience um, because of all the variety of, of staff and mm. different rules and regulations. And, and I know the NHS is, is one of the most complex payrolls there are. And certainly it was um, very interesting. Uh, started off employed by the NHS and then the accounting arm went private so they could bid for work for payroll delivery for any NH trust across the country. So I'd done a lot of implementation work, um, which was, again, a really good experience seeing that full cycle uh, holding payroll clinics when you've gone live with a queue of people waiting to complain about their pay not being right. Uh, and then I had a spell in retail. And then I guess from there I moved to the vendor side. And that that was just, you know, it was great to have the experience from being in-house to providing the service. Mm. Yeah. And that transition actually from the NHS to a service provider, um, almost by forces beyond your control, right? So you, you join an NHS trust and then it changes to be yeah. something else. Um, and, and and actually, it's interesting as I look at your background and track record, you've got a really rich mix of private sector and public sector and service provider work. Um, from, from the Yeah, details. and I think that was deliberate. I really wanted to experience both sides. And I think that's key when you're building your career to put yourself in different industries and, and different sectors to gain the experience and see how the whole payroll operation varies and how companies view the payroll operations. So you were actively making decisions about managing your career and saying, right, this is the next challenge I want to try and take on or I'm I'm looking for something bigger or more complex yes, or different yeah. each time. Yeah, I don't know if I, I if I was aware of it so much then, but looking back, yes, it, it was yeah. very deliberate. Um and I guess I'm always looking for a challenge and and something new and different. Yeah. And and so what sort of size organization was it when you were working in the NHS? Because one thing that stood out for me when you when you worked at Norfolk County Council, you were suddenly working with thirty thousand employees i think from yes. what you said yeah so so um after leaving the uh, the nhs work and having a spell in retail i then went back to a, another vendor capita but ended up two peeing into the norfolk county council so that that was a default rather than a, a deliberate move but again great opportunity back to public sector huge payroll of 30,000, another implementation onto Oracle at the time. So another experience of a, a full payroll life cycle. And I, I guess from there, that's when I went back to the vendor side at, at Northgate um, to run the operational centre delivering payroll and HR to, I think it was around about 60 clients at the time. And that so, I think that was 100,000 pay slips a, a yes, month. Yes, so, yeah, yeah, that you know, was real... a huge operation. 
you can see the expanse change there from from a, a single NHS trust through. How big was the retail organisation that you were working on? Oh, uh, I think it was a couple of thousand. Okay. So yeah, a couple of thousand to thirty thousand to a hundred thousand. Yeah. So looking back on it, what lessons do you do you take from from that experience? Because there's implementations, there's changes. You talked about running payroll clinics for 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 folks. I mean that that's a, a quite a steep learning curve, I'd imagine, in terms of the increase in complexity. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's the devil's always in the detail. That's what you learn. Um, and the the larger the organisation, obviously, the more complex and diverse and the more unique situations you're probably going to come across yeah so although and it's processing is is processing it's just the diversity that yeah. big volumes bring and were there really noticeable differences in the way the public sector thought about payroll from the way the private sector thought about payroll in those times yeah very much i mean obviously the the public sector was very bureaucratic, very policy driven. There was a policy for everything. Um, lots of rules and regulations, um, terms and conditions that had changed over time, but people were still protected on old terms and conditions, working alongside people doing the same job, but with different terms and conditions. Um, whereas the, the private sector was, was more flexible. If you look at, at sort of that journey from you know, a few thousand to thirty thousand to hundred thousand, what what if anything sort of really stood out for you? Is there one memorable experience? Was it an implementation, or did did something go wrong, or did something go right um, that that you look at and, and and think that was a really significant learning opportunity for me? I think yeah. Looking back when when I was at the council and we were setting up the employee services centre, we merged some of the roles I mean obviously we had segregation of duties for audit purposes but we we merged the roles and um, I had this vision of, of people doing a more of a cradle grade delivery mm-hmm. so the HR um, team would take on some of the payroll activities and, and vice versa and I thought that would be a you know a great learning and people would be thrilled to expand their skill set um and i found it just didn't work at all right they were very distinct functions and uh yeah it just it didn't work and we ended up reversing a lot of that decision making and and very distinct in terms of priorities or culture or the way they work process or at that time the hr folks couldn't get their head around I think the the numerical part of payroll and the importance of the information on like a P45 um they just wanted to do their letters and contracts and they didn't really want to get involved in any of this payroll stuff so you saw hands that you sort of saw the actual HR payroll conflict yes yeah of which there always remains some of that to this day those functions, sometimes the payroll function is independent and autonomous, and sometimes it's part of HR and sometimes it's part of finance. Have you have you worked in any or all of those models in terms yes, of absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I've seen payroll under HR and I've seen payroll under finance. And it definitely has a different influence. I think under finance, the, the control of the money is a lot tighter. Mm. Um and the awareness of you know the, the big spend of the company but with HR it's more about the people mm. and the experience they don't really want to know the details it's more about the impact 
and and making sure the employees are happy and yeah and and you mentioned you know a couple of technologies that you, that you were using i think it's always interesting to look back about how payroll was done and how it's being done and then we can look forward in a moment to, to kind of what's coming next but just as you think back about that experience of the nhs and the private sector um outsource services what was the technology landscape like i think you mentioned an oracle implementation you were clearly doing other system implementations at the nhs yeah. but how much did payroll really rely on your mathematical skills and that attention to detail that that the hr folks didn't have and and has that changed over time with systems and technology yeah, I think systems are always changing and getting better and, and more user friendly and um, with, you know, mobile access and, and the way we, we access our payslips now is so different. Uh, when I started, the payslips are on a Kalamazoo clipboard overlaid and you, and you wrote each one out. And, you know, now people can pick their phone up and there's an app on there that, that takes you straight to your payslip. So, yeah, really come a long way. Mm. So, um, so you spent a little bit of time in the outsourced side of the industry, and I think that's where you then began to look at, at global or your next role when you started looking at multi-country. Yeah, I, uh, while I was at Northgate, I took a role, um, an operational excellence role in in the global part of the business, and that's what really put me on the global roadmap. And so, you're we we have people listen to this podcast right around the world, so you're located in the uk whereabouts in the world do you live and and whereabouts in in the world do you now cover in in your current role and we'll we'll, we'll talk a bit about that gap in a minute in terms of the progression <laughs> from one to the other but i've just realized we didn't talk about where you're based and what you what you cover today so i'm based in the east of the uk um in norfolk famous for the norfolk broads and the home of nelson um so i've never really really been london based but Country-wise, I think we cover uh, 85 different countries. So obviously there's a need to work across multiple time zones and, and having global roles for the last 10 years, um, you learn to work very flexibly. And I've usually been home-based. Right, right. It, so the last easier. couple of years last couple of years have certainly been full of their challenges, but uh, working from home then wouldn't have been a change for you. No, no, I'd worked for progressive companies where working from home was already part of the pattern. It wasn't, you know, something new to. to yeah. So Northgate, you took on a, an operational excellence role and then you, you moved to a role which I think gave you, I think was it 17 European countries? Was that your first exposure to multi-country payroll? Yes. So when I left Northgate, I moved to Amazon as the um, EMEA payroll operations manager. And I guess that's really where the, the operational global experience came. And what's that change like if you've been focused on a single country, you know it really well, you've worked on all that complexity of private sector, public sector, different different rules and regulations, one regulatory body or three or four regulatory bodies there may have been at that time before, before uh, all the different changes in, in the UK government policy. But suddenly you're dealing with different countries. How did that feel? It was very exciting. Um, it was a, a particularly dynamic and exciting environment to work in, but going and, and learning the differences uh, to the countries and the way they approach things um, and the, the bureaucracy in some of the countries being extreme and um, just 
nothing was consistent. So although 80% of payroll is the same, there's always that 20% nuances in, in each country. And it was just fascinating to get involved and, and learn what they were. And how did you actually approach that task? Did you physically have to go to each of the countries, meet with the payroll teams, understand what they were working on? Or was there another way that you approached it? Yeah, it was just getting involved in the operations, understanding the issues, working with the the local teams, building a uh, European hub at the same time, and and just yeah, interacting with with all your key stakeholders and understanding the the pressures. Mm. And obviously, fast growing business, lots of I'm guessing lots of new employees coming on board through that that process. So, what particular challenges? you recall from that time the ability to scale up quickly um it wasn't unheard of for there to be a small entity in a country and then it to go from a couple of hundred to several thousand within three or four months right so it was it was getting people in getting them trained um and ready to to be running those high volume payrolls quickly Mm. Can't be that many organisations, or then there, there wouldn't have been many organisations that would expand that quickly. Surely, no. I, I think it really was a, a unique and, and very exciting position to be in. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't ideally see a country go from one hundred and fifty to four thousand in that such a short time period, and and also entering new markets. You know, getting on board quickly. And so what specific challenges did that pose for the payroll function? Hiring, hiring people, yeah, trying to find people with with relevant payroll experience um, based in one European country where the the languages and and the the skill set just wasn't there. Um, Mm -hmm. And that led to us creating a payroll academy which focused really on rather than finding people with payroll experience, finding people with the right values and behaviours and language skills uh, with a genuine enthusiastic interest to learn payroll and then then providing the training. Mm. Because it just, you you were looking for purple unicorns, trying to find somebody who was going to be in Slovakia who knew Turkish payroll, um, just you know it didn't exist it's i mean that's a fascinating challenge um and uh one that i think a lot of businesses have have seen since um in terms of how global payroll has has developed you've obviously had then quite a lot of exposure to training people in payroll and um so what do you think makes a good payroller uh somebody who's got a real passion for wanting to pay people correctly and, and realize how important it is. And that's what everyone comes to work for. And, and a business doesn't want its employees distracted because they haven't been paid correctly. But it's to me, payroll's always been such an exciting place because all roads lead to payroll. You get to see real insight into the business and, and all areas of it because everything ends up at, at payroll's doorstep. But someone who makes a good payroller is is that quick reaction to solving issues um, and attention to detail. 
But what background um, did the people come from that didn't have the payroll experience? Was there sort of one sort of industry that you hit or was it just a variety? It was a real variety, you know, maybe some from the the finance background, um, people that just thought it sounded like an interesting opportunity, people out of um, university looking for their first role. So it, it was a real mix. And the the folks coming out with their first role were they were you looking for particular sort of math skills or has has that been you know does the system now do that and and so it's more about as you've said some of this quick issue yeah, solution yeah I think it's yeah it's more about competencies and and behaviours and somebody who was going to take ownership and and see things through to the end. Mm. And, and so Amazon, as you've described, it sounds a little bit different from a lot of companies that expand internationally. We did some research a couple of years ago with The Economist, and one of the things that found is, is payroll was often overlooked as companies went global. Um, so it just developed this patchwork of whatever was being done locally. Um, although it had its challenges, and particularly the speed of growth, do you think there were advantages in in the way the business was proactive about payroll from fairly early on by the sounds of it absolutely you know absolutely um you know amazon's renowned for its its customer experience and real focusing on customer needs and it was the same applied to employees Mm. there was a real you know focus on ensuring the employees were paid probably the the highest focus i've seen anywhere Mm. and and you evolved then you had a compliance role is that because as the business started to look at all those different countries lots and lots of complexity with local regulation and and local rules yeah again getting ahead of the game uh it was a very proactive role to to go out and find the issues before they were raised with audits or or any other way but it was getting out there um doing health checks on on countries randomly exploring um the, the tax side of the benefits, making sure they were all set up correctly. Um, often you'd find there were several entities in a country and the, the leaders didn't always join up together. And by doing that health check, you pulled them all in together and they all learned different parts about the other entities. Um, but it was a real, yeah, get ahead of the game, find the issue, solve it before mm. it, it comes up and slaps you in the face really and did that did that proactivity surprise some of the people you were working with so these these the leaders of the entities who weren't joining the dots themselves when you announce a random health check or you you turn up and go through these that's quite a proactive role for payroll mel we, we talk sometimes about you know payroll being at the end of of many of the processes you know hr do their thing finance do their thing and as you say all roads lead back to to payroll sam but what what kind of reaction did you get in going into the businesses in that sense as a proactive payroller? Luckily, everyone was was for it. They could see anything that was gonna gonna make an improvement, everyone was really on board about. I mean, there was there was a little resistance as there is more from the encroach on time, but mm-hmm. um overall people were were welcoming it. Fantastic. So um I want to kind of wrap up this this kind of look back over your or experience because I want to think about you know what comes next and some of the things that you've learned and some of the, the experiences you can share with people looking at the, the payroll profession. So you then moved and you spent a little bit of time, which actually felt like it was going back to one of the ideas you touched on before, which was HR and payroll together. Um and uh can you can you sort of 
share some some of the experience of that of I think setting up a global COE and, and thinking about uh, sorry center of excellence and thinking about HR and payroll together in the in the role that you move to next one of the main reasons I moved was I wanted to get back into payroll operations um, right. and I think uh, Expedia had a, a wider footprint so there was an opportunity to being exposed to more countries mm. um, but I took on initially overseeing HR and payroll but it soon changed I think after a matter of months to being back to that that payroll function and, yeah. and focusing on that yeah and, and actually it seems there's a real strong theme of, of managing that change through your experience and through your your career and then so you know you left Expedia um, moved on to Pearson and now I think you've moved again just recently from what you were saying Yes, yeah, I'm I'm now with Nielsen IQ, um, where I've, I'm just a couple of months in, so so very early days. But um, this is going back to basics. This is the, the back to setting up the you know a, a payroll function um, across eighty five plus countries. Again, even more countries to to get to know. But um, it's it's really difficult where people have. Um, there's a long tail of countries and, and lots of small volumes because you, you the volumes don't justify a pure payroll person. So you end up with lots of mixed roles where they might do a bit of finance and a bit of payroll or HR payroll or HRBP payroll, HR admin, if it's a small enough country. So um, the challenge there is to really pull the payroll aspect away and, and, and create strong payroll coe and and there's a real mix in terms of organizations that will look at managing that in-house with their own teams and their own center of excellence or working with a network of local vendors or a single global vendor so in in your experience you've got such a breadth of experience across public sector private sector service provider side in-house do you have a, a view on um, what's worked best for you in those situations? Is it more in-house? Have you done a mix of outsourcing? I think there, there's not one solution fits all um, and there's not really one true payroll global vendor. Um, they all rely on on using in-country providers to some extent. It's, you know, it's really hard to find one solution um it's very much on you know what fits in with the overall company strategy mm. and so as you're looking at it you're, you're building an internal capability from what you've described in terms of the the approach that you're taking in in today's role yeah i think it's really key that even though you have a payroll vendor you have that knowledge in-house um you, you shouldn't rely on the vendor to to be the expert you need to to take that ownership and have that expertise in-house interesting we sorry jump in sorry i was just saying we we find that quite a lot um at the gpa and i think that's how we got to know you sam really wasn't it that more more and more people want to have some control um and not necessarily rely on the vendor not not not, it's not that the vendor doesn't necessarily know the legislation or compliance etc but i think payroll people are naturally control you know they want the control of payroll yeah yeah they 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 are control freaks yeah I think that that's uh you know that's a strength as well to to have that that strong need to control it yeah 
but yeah, I, just... I think it yes it definitely you know helps your own employability to become experienced and I like that that notion of no one size no one size fits all um I think you know I I, I came from outside of of the industry um although I've been here now five years Mel which I'm just about no longer a newbie but um, <laughs> no. the um the interesting thing for me is you have this incredibly complex world and because people stakeholders people not directly involved in payroll perhaps don't always understand that complexity there's a lot of conversation that says well we'll make it simple you know in and web pages from from my company and others that say hey it's payroll made simple and yet actually for something that is already complex it's getting more complex by the almost by the month at the moment yeah um and so you know we've been doing research and insights and it does seem to be that there there are those who are firmly committed to no this is complex we need to solve it in-house and we need to put the resources in place and those who are saying no this is complex it's not a core focus for us we're going to bring in a, a service provider or a partner or yeah. you know, we're going to we're going to look at that and i i, I do it's going to be interesting to see how that evolves in the coming years because that complexity is certainly not going away i think we can we can make some bits no. simpler but <laughs> i think payroll will always be complex from what i'm seeing yeah. as yeah. i as i come into it so so thank you for sharing that that background and i, I wanted to spend a little bit of time there just because it was such a broad uh, you've got such broad experience and it gives you such a good view about where payroll's been um that when we talk about where payroll's going, I think it helps people who listen to the podcast to understand that that's a very well-informed opinion um, from a breadth of experience. So let's let's talk one more thing just about looking back. Um, I'm really interested in the role that managers play in developing people. And, and you're, you know, you're a people leader. You've led a training academy. You've done a lot of work about bringing people into the industry. But as you look back on your career, who are the one or two managers or leaders that you've worked with who really stood out for you? Oh, um, I, I've been lucky enough to work with with a lot of great leaders. Um, I guess one one or two that, that stand out is um, going back to, to my Amazon days, uh, VP in finance operations called Tim Halliday. He is probably the smartest man I've ever met. Um, he was so... He, he just commanded respect um, when he entered the room and, and you really wanted to, to please him and you would spend hours and hours and hours preparing your, your update and, and your white paper thinking you'd covered everything and he would always throw curveballs at you. He would always come up with things you hadn't even considered and, and ask questions, really, really curious. And, and if you got recognition from him, you know, you felt you'd made it, but he always gave you something else to think about something that, as I say, you'd never even considered, um, gave so much insight and, and his judgment was just so well-placed both on, on the work you were doing and on, on people. You know, you, you couldn't hide from him. He, he was just so, so smart. So he was a great leader. Um, the, the payroll director at Amazon, again, another great leader, Greg, so passionate and never known anybody so passionate about payroll really generated excitement about the function um, wherever he went great guy uh, and and I have to mention my friend Anna Marie another great payroll leader absolutely inspiring in the way she continues to always want to learn increase that knowledge and and study and yeah I, as I say I've worked with with some really great leaders and and I've learned a lot from them Mm. 
we have the podcast for Anne-Marie as well, don't we? So we, oh. <laughs> we, we interviewed Anne-Marie uh, a couple of years ago and it was a it was one of those um, podcasts, I think you felt at the end, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another another really passionate payroll leader and, yeah. and that's that's really good to see people are so, so infused at the function and want to, you know, raise the profile. And actually you can draw a straight line there back to some of the things that you were looking for in the academy so you've worked with passionate and curious managers who are really into the detail and then as I think about what you were saying about the academy and future payroll skills it's it's you've got to be passionate about doing this um, because it is so complex and so full of challenges and and every month is going to be different Um, I think you yeah you've got to have empathy you've got to be able to put yourself in that employee's position that's really key because even though they may be getting upset that they're £20, $50 short, which doesn't seem very significant to them, it's really important. And so let's let's talk a little bit more about the, the broader um, payroll landscape. And, and you talk about empathy with the employee. Over the last few years, um, how do you think the challenges facing payroll have, have changed and developed as a result of the the pandemic and the situation that we've all been in i think the um the biggest change is is the way we work flexibly now people want to work from where they want to work from which obviously causes great issues with with tax um particularly state across state tax and even people that want to work from their holiday home in Spain but live in the UK and and it's tracking that and and having policies uh, that protect the compliance Uh, business travellers another you know hot topic um, how people track that travel and are they adhering to all the regulations of people coming in and out of different countries I think one, one of the things that amazed me with the, the people with holiday homes that wanted to work from the holiday, holiday homes was this thing of people lying about where they were, you know, living and employers yeah. finding out, you know, they've been living in so-and-so country for the last 18 months or two years. And obviously I think that's changed now because we're all going back to work slowly but surely. But there, there were so many challenges, weren't there, during the COVID time with people just up in the sticks and absolutely yeah and I think tracking your workforce um was was one of the biggest challenges of knowing where people were because they they just weren't reporting or or even looking to to have approval to go to France for six months or or even have the awareness of the impact of that yeah I think I think that awareness point is 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 a key one because you know there's, there's there's two types of people in this world those who look at their pay slips and those who don't they just pop them straight in a drawer yeah. <laughs> but there's very low awareness um inside some employee groups and populations about the complexity and the challenges that you face in in delivering their payroll yeah wouldn't even occur to them that the tax no. regulations might be no absolutely yeah and yeah. you know it may be when they don't tell you you know in the u.s when they don't tell you what state they're in and they haven't filed any unemployment um, benefits and then they want to claim and realise, you know, they've not paid any in that state. Mm-hmm. So as you look forward, as we're coming out of the, the pandemic, and I 
hesitate to say that at a time when you know, Shanghai is on lockdown and still 23, mm. 25 million people um, you know, dealing with the, the situation. But the world is beginning to open up. I'm, I'm getting on a plane in a couple of days to, to fly to, to the US for a, a large event. How do you think payroll should now respond? What needs to change? What, did, what lessons did we learn over the last few years? And, and how are you thinking about the next few years? Oh, gosh. Um, I think we need to learn that we need to be a lot closer to our workforce um, mm. and, and we need to make sure that we have policies in place that protect us and, and think about every eventuality. Yeah, I heard someone describe um, the pandemic as a, a sort of black swan event. It's, mm. it's rare, but we seem to have a whole sequence of those happening over the last five or six years. Um, so what was rare is now becoming more frequent. So that whole focus on business continuity planning, yeah. imagining the different scenarios and seeing seeing how a business would respond, even through to the, the situation today in, in you know, the crisis in, in Ukraine, puts challenges on the payroll profession generally um, and specifically yeah. with people in those countries it's certainly countries. been a time over the last couple of years for creative thinking um, so strong bcp plans need to be in place that you know you're, you're testing different scenarios even though some scenarios from recently you wouldn't have imagined um, it's always good to make sure that you, you've got that contingency in place have you have you enjoyed some of those challenges because it sounds like everywhere you've gone you know every new role is a big challenge and then obviously covid has brought other challenges obviously covid has been an awful time but have you enjoyed some of the challenges it's it's brought with it yeah i it's been good to have to think about the impact of uh, particularly of the flexible working and and where people are located where they've been working to where the office was located it's um, it certainly opened up um, a lot of research and, and learning as, as to how you deal with that. Did it did it open doors as well to people that you may not have spoken to at work or had dealt with at work? Did it open you know new doors to you as well? Yeah, I think there was an opportunity. You were speaking to a wider range of people um, trying to solve the problem. So uh, I think it it helped build some strong connections because you were in crisis situations sometimes and, and had to pull together. So there was definitely that that fell out of it. And, and we talked a couple of times about how peril has been thrust into the spotlight um, through this through this experience over the last couple of years with with a wider group of stakeholders sensitive to what's happening in payroll, aware of what's happening, and maybe even willing to invest in ways that they weren't before to, to, to help improve and strengthen the payroll profession. So as you look forward, what do you think is, is most exciting? Let's talk first about technology. There's a lot of noise around technology in, in payroll from AI and machine learning through to early wage access and, and some of the other things that, that get talked about a lot at you know, Mel's events and and, and different uh, environments. Are you looking at any of those as potentially having a transformative impact on on the approach to payroll? Yeah, um, not currently, but it's something definitely uh, we'll be exploring. And do you think, I mean, you touched on earlier the empathy for, for employees. I think earned wage access 
discussed a lot in in different areas and there's some real hesitancy in some countries about how does it work inside the tax regulations others it's it's being deployed by particular types of businesses quite extensively so um, as a payroller not so much in your current role because that's a very unfair question you're only in your role for a, a few months but as a payroller how do you think about the the idea of employees being able to almost move to a continuous or draw down their their pay as they earn it and what issues does that create for the payroll professional? I think, yeah, that's a very new concept, isn't it? Pay on demand. Um, I think it's it's a real benefit for, for employees to be able to draw down more frequently than, than currently. Um, it's a real new way of thinking. I think some industries it will work well, particularly maybe on, on hourly, more lower paid employees where, where that um, money is essential, whereas others, more established uh, salary employees, may prefer the the routine. But I think it's we'll see patterns of industries where it's going to be more common than others. Mm. And I think you, you mentioned clinics and employee communication, and employee engagement. I think it's potentially such a big change for how people mm. think about managing their money that there's going to be challenges and problems with it. You know, people who um, perhaps draw down too much or their behavior patterns. Yeah. So that whole financial wellness, the corporate education side of it, mm. the running the clinics, the educating and informing people um, that it's different from getting an advance on your paycheck. But but if it's too easy, almost it becomes easy for them to get themselves into to some financial trouble. So I think generally, you know, more employee engagement, more empowered employees, but I think it does create education challenges for for businesses that go down that pathway in terms of how they ensure the financial wellness of their their employees absolutely i think we focus so much on on employee well-being and and mental health support and and help with with health we need to focus more on the financial well-being as well definitely when when we've spoken about on-demand pay it's it's such an emotional topic with mm. the audience and there's still people learning about the topic you know they haven't heard we we held a meeting a couple of uh, weeks ago and there was somebody in the audience saying I, I haven't heard about this you know tell me more and then you had half the audience sort of almost shouting <laughs> and the other half going shouting about the positives and the negatives yeah. it's, it's a really it's a real passionate subject yeah it? it really yeah. is yeah I, I think for people with a traditional monthly cycle, it's um, it's a real change. But uh, for people with you know weekly and biweekly, it's it's probably going to be more used, as I say, on the the lower end of the pay scale. And, and more broadly, technology in general, how do you think it's it's going to change the payroll profession? You touched a little bit on on some of the changes it's had already in terms of um, you know, your experience of deploying systems and how it changes some of the tasks. But as you look forward, what are your hopes and fears for how technology will um, impact payroll? Hopefully it will make it easier and, and to exchange data, particularly like with, you know, RTI and, and I know Brazil has a big e-social program where all that data is, is ready and it's instant um, available and, and you can track changes a lot more easier. So that's definitely a benefit. And I think that's what will become the expectation of, of instant data. Mm. 
live yeah. lifetime. Good. And I, yeah, I think that that whole and, and particularly someone with your very proactive approach from what you've describing, um, that ability to drill into the data, look for trouble before it it, it finds you. Um, technology has a lot to offer in in that sense. Um, more visibility and, and yeah, integration you know, across systems. Payroll is such a rich source of data yeah. to get it all you know, in one place is such a, a benefit. So looking back on your career, what advice would you offer your your younger self if if you were coming into the profession now? Uh, I would definitely focus on learning languages. That's one thing I never did and I wished I had to done. It would make uh, make global payroll easier. So uh, I would say, uh, yeah, focus on, on language skills. Um, look for opportunities you know never be afraid to to be brave and put yourself forward for new opportunities um but uh, overall i'd say be be true to yourself if it doesn't feel right it probably isn't right you know move on you'll you'll always learn from from good and bad experiences and it's interesting actually mel one of one of the conversations we had really early on in in putting together this podcast about women in global payroll um was was actually part of that was about looking for the opportunity and the the research from psychologists and others that say actually if an opportunity is there a female professional might look at the role profile and say oh i don't have 100 percent of the the skills and a male will look at it and say oh i've got 60 percent. i should apply for that <laughs> and 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 it was just it was one of those very striking early conversations mel about the differences and and you know somebody asked recently on on linkedin i saw a comment around this podcast and why do we do a podcast on women in in global payroll and for me i think it's it's partly around that it's it's about hearing the great experiences that people have so that they can see the opportunities and feel confident in approaching those opportunities because there are differences and 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 so I think that's a really good call out in terms of looking for the opportunity and applying for for things that you think will suit you or that will interest you. And, yeah, actually, and actually, I had I had somebody message me um, and just said that they enjoy listening to people like you, Sam, because there's so much that resonates with them. You know, they they really enjoy listening to people's experiences, and um, yeah, so. I think it's important that you know we we have these podcasts and we we learn about everyone's backgrounds and and how they've got into payroll and how they've succeeded. And I love the way that you talk about the things that you haven't done correctly or you know maybe mm. mistakes um, because some people don't necessarily want to talk about them. But I feel like you're quite oh, open. Yeah. And oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I've made some humdingers in the past, but uh, it's all an experience. And I think you, you don't always realise it at the time, but you are learning so much, even though it feels, you know, wrong. You you then take away how you do it differently. Um, and I, I I think that's really, I love that humdingers of a, of a, of a mistake. I'm, I'm always curious <laughs> to ask what was the biggest humdinger, <laughs> but I won't put you on the spot. Um, but do share if you want to. Um, I think that that passion curiosity the continual learning and stretching yourself and you said some of those moves you've made have been you know in hindsight they look quite deliberate but at the time they were just opportunities that were in yeah. front of you some was a two-piece some was a, a change in, in outsourcing but there's a theme through your career and I think that's that's always interesting because as people come into the profession 
seeing the opportunity in global payroll. I mean, you're now running, what, 85 countries across multiple time zones, dealing with people in different languages. It, it, it's, it's a very, you know, if you're a curious, passionate person, it's a great industry to, to explore those avenues. But people have to come into the industry, they have to learn about it, and mm. then they have, to, they have to see people like them in roles where they can say, oh, I can, I can get there. Right. I can I can follow that pathway and that would that would work for me. So I really appreciate you sharing your your experience and, and insights. And if you do want to share on that humdinger, I, I'm ready to listen. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of it was, as I say, believing that everybody in HR wanted to learn payroll. But uh, yeah, you, you live and learn. Yeah. I think and it's... I certainly have not ever come across anybody who says I sat at school and I thought, I want a career in payroll. <laughs> and that's one thing I would love to see change, that it is, you know, it's taken seriously as a career option mm. rather than the majority of people that just fall in it by accident. Yeah. There are very few people who got the head start that you got that uh, very first first job in payroll or almost first job in payroll and first pay slip. Um, it's amazing where buying a hamster can take you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who'd have thought? <laughs> Well, I, we're, we're, we're coming up on time. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation, Sam. And just delight to hear about your experiences and, and you. background. And hopefully folks listening to this are inspired by that, that mix of passion and, and, and curiosity. So thank you so much for, for taking the time and sharing with us today. No, thank you. This podcast is made possible by ADP Global Payroll, giving you the confidence and transparency to transform global payroll into an engine for growth. Begin your journey at adp.com forward slash worldwide and connect with your local global expert.